And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys had a fantastic weekend. Uh, Great show today. I was joined by my good friend, Ian Hayworth. Uh, It's always a great time talking to Ian. We covered a lot, uh, as always. There's a ton to break down. Um, We talked about uh, the fact that Twitter's not real. It is not real. It is not real life, ladies and gentlemen. And you should be reminded of that fact every day. <laughs> if you want to stay sane in this crazy world. Um, and we talked about whether or not we should be optimistic or pessimistic about the future of the Republic. <laughs> we talked about uh, the Washington Redskins changing their name and, and everything in between. I think you guys will like it. Uh, before I get to Ian, uh, guys, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or Spotify. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate it. And if you like what you're hearing and want to get involved, hit us up over on Patreon, patreon.com slash NoGimmicksPodcast. All right. Without further ado, here's my chat with the great Ian Hayworth. All right, guys, we're here with my friend Ian Hayworth. Ian, my brother, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you again for having me. It's always a pleasure coming on your show. Absolutely, man. Anytime. So uh, a lot to talk about, as always, today. Uh, uh, of course. And we'll try to get to as much of, of the news going on as possible, but... First, but before we jump into what's going on in the world, I I just have to bring up a, a funny thing that I keep learning and relearning over and over on, on the old Twitter.com, the old Twitter machine. Um, I'm reminded constantly that the Internet's not real, specifically Twitter. Twitter is just not real. It's not the real world. And I'm constantly reminded of this. I, I had a tweet go viral yesterday, and it wasn't even a clever tweet. It was just uh, it was just basic facts. Everybody was crapping on Everybody on the left was crapping on Texas because they've had a— an uptick in, in COVID positive cases and, and stuff like that. And uh, I just pointed out that, you know, New York has had well over 10 times uh, the COVID deaths as Texas, despite Texas having over 10 million more citizens than New York. And then, so that went viral. And, you know, I don't know how many comments, a thousand <laughs> or more comments. And, and most of the comments were from leftists because leftists just comment on stuff more than conservatives do because conservatives, like, you know, work. <laughs> and, and stuff like that uh, have things to do with their time but if you just read these comments it was a whole bunch of left wingers basically saying they hope everyone in texas dies and a whole bunch of right wingers saying that coronavirus is fake and it's all made up and it, it's a conspiracy and don't wear masks okay <laughs> so like, like if you read the comments you'd think that democrats want republicans dead and that republicans are insane alex jones conspiracy theorists okay and neither one of these things are true of course most left-wingers are nice people that don't want anybody to die and most conservatives are not alex jones Infowars guys that you know believe that you know the earth is flat and stuff like that. So it's like, all right, yes, if you read the comments, you think everybody's insane, but that's really just not the case. Well, I think it's also, uh, what's kind of funny is that most people understand that Twitter isn't real, but they often apply that to their own side while seeing Twitter as a good example of what the other side is like. Right. So I think a lot of people on the left, especially those who don't really um, associate themselves with anyone who is conservative in real life, their own real exposure to anyone who's conservative is on Twitter. And so they mm-hmm. see the the stuff that 
you and I see that makes us put our our head in, the, in our hands and scream into a <laughs> <laughs> and scream until we fall asleep. Uh, but that's their view of what conservatism is. And there are also a lot of people um, who live in very, very conservative areas who also don't associate with anyone with liberal or leftist views. And so they do the same thing. They go to Twitter and they see the absolutely crazy, openly Marxist of, you know, eat the rich, um, frying cops like pigs. And it's that's what they think real life is. And Twitter is one of those places. It's like a, a cesspool where it's very easy to get drawn in. And I mean, it's very easy to become addicted to Twitter. I think most people on Twitter a lot are borderline addicted to it. But you need to remember that the people who are on there and the people who are engaging in content aren't representative of, of like the general population. So like the people who are likely to angrily comment, it, it's like a pre-selected group of people who are, are going to give you a slanted view of the world. But it's uh, it's definitely fascinating. Like they're still a lot of them are still real people, and uh, some of their views are, are interesting to to be polite. So. Twitch is an interesting place. <laughs> it is. And I, I've, I've said this all the time on the podcast, but just to reiterate, only 21% of the American electorate even has a Twitter account. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not it's not that many people. It's a small group of people. And over 70% of those people, over 70% of political content on Twitter is leftist. So it's a, it's a very small sample size of the actual electorate. And then the vast majority of those people of that small sample size are on one side. So it's like, especially as a conservative, mm-hmm. it's easy to look at Twitter, look at the comments, and be like, "Holy crap!" Yeah, you yeah. Know, like the the world's falling apart. You know, it's just not the case, though. And like, you know, you guys like you and I, like we are very online, as, as the kids say. Like you and I are like, you know, <laughs> we're we're examples of people that are always on Twitter. You know, we are very active on Twitter. But you know, it's just it's important to remember that it, it's just not real. It's just not real, guys. Um, but so let's uh. I do want to get pessimistic real quick, and then we'll try to bring it back up. <laughs> we'll try to try to be more optimistic <laughs> later on. But if we can. I have been feeling somewhat pessimistic for the future lately. You know, it has been a couple rough weeks, a few rough weeks for the conservative movement, for the liberty movement. It does feel like we're losing, <laughs> does it not? I mean, polls are terrible for Republicans across the board. That's probably for a variety of different reasons, obviously. You know, religious liberty is under assault. The war on, on Christianity and Judaism both are, is in full effect. I mean, heck, the Second Amendment, man. Our, our favorite person from a month ago, or a few weeks ago, it feels like years ago, but the uh, the pink shirt uh, boomer guy with the AR-15 in, in, in Missouri, he, I mean, he had his AR-15 confiscated. Okay, the state broke into his house and confiscated his firearms because he defended his private property, right? It feels like we're losing ground. It feels like we're losing. Yes, I would agree. It's, it's hard to find an area of uh, the political landscape where I am comfortable with how the conservatives are doing. I mean, li- really look at any any important platform to the conservative movement and try and think of one that we're doing well. Like abortion right now is, is a joke. It's almost that one of those um, hot potato topics that conservatives like to bring up in elections. But it's conservatives are honestly just being weak about it. They're trying to do this kind of backhanded trying to get it through the court system while ignoring the, where the real battle is, which is in the culture war, where we've got to change the mentality towards abortion. 100%. But people aren't willing to do that. We've got the Second Amendment, which is under constant attack. And Trump loves to do this every time in his speeches when he's listing off all these things that get you know, get applause. He always says, oh, we're going to protect your Second Amendment rights. I like, well, tell me how, because it doesn't really look that way right now. Like when, as you said, when a man who defended his own home from people who were are trespassing and he has taken his weapon is taken away 
that's really the definition of tyranny. And that is what a lot of the founders warned against. That's really the entire purpose of the Second Amendment. You look at every other element of conservatism and we are losing ground. And I think I can't remember who Trump was speaking with, but it was, I think, someone on Fox News. And he was asked, like, what is your platform? Why should people vote for you for 2020? And he didn't have an answer. And that's frankly not good enough. It's setting it's setting 2020 up to be an election between anything else and Trump. And it needs to be an election between the left's radical, insane political platform and anything else. And the blame will fall on Trump. I think you and I have been warning against this for a few years now of, yes, Trump is popular with his base. People love love it when he slaps the media in the face. They, they love his, his absurdities. But it's about winning and it's about furthering a movement. It's not about furthering him as an individual. And I'm very worried that people have lost focus on what the goal should be, which is conservatism and advocating for conservatism. They've replaced it with just their version of a monarch. And now the left want their monarch in. And it, it, it's very depressing. I, I'm finding it quite hard right now to see the path to victory unless some things change. Yeah, I I think I agree. I, I want to go back to a point you just made, and I I wasn't planning on talking about this, but I think you're absolutely correct. Uh, on the abortion issue, which you called ridiculous, which I completely agree. I mean, abortion is like a a, a truly, I mean, it, the left thinks that, you know, it's a religious issue for, for people on the right, which of course it is, but it, I mean, the worship of abortion has become religious <laughs> in nature on the left. I mean, it is really, they're just bloodthirsty. I mean, it, it's, they're upset. I mean, they're obsessed um, with, with abortion. They want as much abortion as possible. I mean, safe, legal, and rare seems like a million years ago at this point. Oh yeah, that's just gone. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. It's gonna have to come culturally. Like we're gonna, it's gonna have to be a, a sorry to be, you know, go Pastor Brady on you, but it's gonna have to be some kind of spiritual revival in this country. Like it's not coming legally. It's not coming from Congress. It's not coming from the White House. <laughs> it sure as shit is not coming from the Supreme Court, brother. It's, it's just <laughs> not. It's just not happening. I mean, every out of every three originalist or you know who are supposed to be a originalist judges that we appoint to supreme court we get maybe one of them you mm-hmm. know I mean, it's it's clarence thomas uh it's alito and that's it you know what i mean and and republicans have appointed i believe 11 out of the, out of the last 14 supreme court justices so i mean we're we have a horrible batting average right now uh to say the least on the supreme court i just don't think no matter what i mean president trump could appoint all 9 Supreme Court justices, and they're not going to overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, obviously, Republicans in Congress and in the Senate are, are feckless cowards. They're not going to do mm-hmm. anything. They'll campaign on it, but they won't actually do anything about it. It's going to have to come from the people themselves, the culture, you know, people understanding what abortion truly is. And, and you know, I, honestly, I could see an anti-abortion movement coming from the black community. You know, I, I do mm-hmm. think if it's ever going to happen, it's going to come from the black community for a couple reasons. One— I think the black community is going to understand that they should be far more than 13% of the population by now. I mean, it's just demographically speaking, statistically speaking, there's no reason that that number is still 13%. Like, they should be a larger percentage of the population, but they have abortions at a much, much higher rate than any other community. Uh, and, and things like that, you know, like maybe looking at the history of Planned Parenthood, that that they were set up in black communities for the purpose of keeping the black population down, you know, the, the evil <clears throat> history of abortion itself. So I, I think it's going to have to come culturally. That's that's an important that's an important point. Well, what's horribly, uh, ironically amusing in a, in a very, very dark way is that the left see white supremacy at the heart of everything they don't like. 
like everything they see as an extension of slavery of, of America's supposedly bigoted fundamentals. And yet the things they hold most dear have white supremacy at their very core. But yes. they hold Planned Parenthood as, as you as you said, to some extent, like their church is their yes. spiritual center or one of their spiritual centers where abortion is this bizarre women's health care issue when it's just quite simply not like the vast majority of abortions are just acts of convenience because women don't want to have the child. That's not that's not health care at any point. Um, if you want to have people want to have the debate on the rare instances where say it's an issue of life or death for the mother or it's an issue of rape or incest then those debates should be had but let's not kid ourselves that the vast majority of abortions are because simply the mother doesn't want to have the child but you look at the history you scratch beneath the history of most things to do with the democratic party you, you hit racism and the fact that the, the left are allowed to promulgate this lie where they can just rewrite history for their own benefit and erase vast elements of their own history which are just racist to their core again it's it's a it's a matter of conservative weakness that we allow them to do this the fact that every single time abortion is discussed this isn't suggested and the fact that the vast majority of abortions are taking places in these neighborhoods it is it's very depressing and i think the issue is is that the fact that it's depressing and not nice to talk about is almost used as a weapon because of Eventually, people get tired of failing. People get tired of the supposedly conservative Supreme Court being in no way conservative. And so they give up. And then before long, it's gone, as you said, from safe, legal and rare to people celebrating abortions with a fanfare on Netflix and it being applauded as a moral good. And once you get that in the in the psyche of the culture, it's like a generational problem at that point, because people are growing up believing that, oh, of course, abortion is good. I mean, when I was younger and I, I didn't really think about this issue that closely, I didn't really think anything of abortion. It was just something I think like most people who don't think that deeply about you just shrug your shoulders and it's like, oh, well, it's not something I do, but really none of my business. But this is like the biggest issue of our time. People are being murdered en masse, treated not like human beings. And we're supposedly this civilized culture. And in this element, we are quite the opposite. Yeah, I totally agree, and I, I, uh, I know I've said this on the podcast before too, but just as a, a fun thought experiment, I, I do think that, um, you know, abortion will, if you, if you fast forward a hundred years, abortion will be viewed as is even more evil than than slavery was, right? It'll be uh, the slavery of of our time. I mean, think about it, like, you know, people talk about the 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 point of viability for for an unborn child, right? The <laughs> that'll be seconds after conception right like mm -hmm. in 20 years like you'll be able to take a fertilized egg and you know grow it in a incubator <laughs> you know what I mean? so like there will be literally no reason for any woman to have an abortion because they could just give up the fertilized egg and then and you know raise it in a lab and then put that child up for adoption or something like that so there, there would be no like re and then plus also we are going to be an interplanetary species here soon right we're gonna be on mars we're gonna have you know we'll even make it outside of this solar system eventually and we'll need humans man <laughs> like instead of people like you know in china and india and other parts of the world worried about you know population control it'll it'll be that just fast forward 100 years or 200 years that'll be completely flipped on its head and then people on mars and be like dude send us more people like we need workers like we, we need we need humans up here we're trying to populate mars bro so like Everything will be th <laughs> so the abortion issue. People will look back on our generation as like 
these savages. They were like, mm-hmm. they were just killing people. And then, wait, they wanted less people? Like, how, how could you want less people? We have 10 different Earths. Like, I'm over on Earth 9, and we are underpopulated. We need some more people, man. We're trying to, we each have 10 kids each, you know? So it's like, I, I could see a future like that where the entire issue will be complete. Sorry to go down any ridiculous rabbit hole. Oh, that's <laughs> fine. That. But yeah, I just think that, you know, abortion obviously will be viewed as, as the great evil of, of this, this period in, in time. There's also, I think, to bring it back to our, our earlier conversation, the the American conservatism and conservatism to a more broader extent, they abandon the premise a lot to the left. And I think another instance of where they've abandoned the premise is the idea that the left are the party of science. Like if I hear Joe Biden, who is clinging to life at this point, stumble his way through a sentence saying, like, oh, we are the party of science. One more time, I'm going to start pulling my hair out. Because the left is simply not the party of science. And really, neither are the conservatives right now. But the conservatives are more the party of science with issues like abortion, with issues like, like really any any political platform right now. Like we're talking about gun control, for example. And they say, oh, we're the polit- party of, the, of science that listen to experts. It's like, well, the, the data does not support your conclusion in any way. Talk about systematic racism. The data does not support your conclusion. And the fact that, again, we don't have... I, I don't believe we have a president who is that well versed on things like statistics and data is really a flaw in our in our potential going forward, because every time they lie and it's often we need someone who's like, well, no, that's not what the data says. Here is what the data says. You're lying. But instead, we're, we're on these absurd, shallow tweet um, sessions talking about ratings and Roger Stone and all this ridiculousness that won't matter in five minutes this time and then suddenly we're going to have joe biden as president he's going to last a few minutes and then we're probably going to have someone like kamala harris in the white house that is terrifying that's terrifying thought yeah terrifying ridiculous also a woman who called joe biden racist three seconds ago it's laughable the thing is it's not just trump it's not just the republican party who are who aren't on message who are ceding ground to the left it's everybody not not just in the conservative movement but even the libertarian movement you know, mm-hmm. like I, I'm more libertarian. You know, I, I vote Republican, um, mostly because the Libertarian Party is a joke and they can't win and they <laughs> put up crappy candidates and stuff. But you know, like I, I agree with a lot of the the tenets of the Libertarian Party. Obviously, just in my own personal philosophy. You saw the what's her name? I I don't keep up with LP stuff, obviously. But uh, what's the woman's name? Who's the Libertarian nominee for president? Um, Joe uh, Jor- Jorgensen. Joe Jorgensen. Mm-hmm. Um, she even her that the libertarian standard bearer is ceding ground to the left. Like she tweeted the other day, um, and, and the libertarian they're supposed to be the principled, you know, minarchist, extremely small government advocates, right? The liberty advocates. Mm-hmm. She tweeted like something along the lines. I, I should pull up the tweet. Tweet. I'm not going to because I don't care enough about about her. But <laughs> um, she she tweeted something along the lines of like it's not an like a left wing talking point. It's not enough just to be just to not be racist. We have to be actively anti racist. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. And it's like wait whoa 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 whoa. The Libertarian Party, Libertarian Party, presidential nominee, is supporting a evil communist organization <laughs> it's like okay yeah. they're literally the antithesis of what a libertarian believes in okay and just to try to get retweets on twitter you're going to use the hashtag you're going to literally support communism communists you're supporting communists 
to get retweets <sighs> on Twitter. It's like, it's incredible, man. It's incredible how many people are just feckless. They're just cowardly. They will not. They will not stand up uh, for their convictions at all. It, it really is pathetic. Well, especially I, I think on the matter of Black Lives Matter, it's one of the left's most powerful tools right now because being called a racist American is in America is basically one of the worst things you can be accused of, if not the worst. You take into account, you know, America's history, especially recent history of racism compared to um, other Western countries. It's undeniably a part of the American history. And so being called racist is something that is quite awful. And so you've got a lot of people who are setting aside reality because they're scared. But that is when people who have cynical and, and just bad intentioned um, goals, they take advantage of this. Yes. And when you have people telling you, oh, it's not enough to be not a racist, you need to be a vocal anti-racist. Sounds great, but it fits into the pattern that left use over and over again, which is if you do not adhere to our current set of political positions, then you are a racist, a bigot, a sexist, a homophobe, really whatever um, bigoted group we care about right now. That's the trick they use. And so if unless you are marching with us in the street, smashing things up while also demanding a you know, communist rule, you are a racist. And it's, no one is on the right is brave, at least not mainstream enough, is brave enough to say, um, quite frankly, it's bullshit. All you have to do as an individual is not be racist. That is your only responsibility. It is not your responsibility to be anti-racist in the view of what the left believe anti-racism is. I yes, take we it should, even... We should, I, I take it even further, though, Ian. Like, it's not only is it okay to just not be racist, it's still okay in in a society to just, if you are a racist, to just not act on your racist thoughts. Okay, like it's obviously, I believe, mm-hmm. I believe racism is evil, and and I know you do too because I'm a Christian, you're a Jew. We we both believe that every man and woman, regardless of their skin color, is made in the image of the Almighty God. Okay, and and if you're a racist, you're literally spitting in the face of God in in the Bible. Okay, like it's you. I don't really believe you can be a a, a Christian, you know, or a Jew, or and at least in any practical sense, and be a racist. It, it's insane, you know. But uh, I don't care if some guy is racist. <laughs> like it's it's above my pay grade to try to convict people of their thoughts. Like if some guy is, mm-hmm. if like my neighbor's black and. He just secretly doesn't like me because I'm white and he's a racist, but he's still nice to me and says hi when I'm walking to the car and, you know, doesn't let his dog crap in my yard and is polite and stuff. Like, I don't care. I don't care what he thinks in the privacy. I don't care. I do not care what people think. I care what people do and say. You know what I mean? So, like, I would even push back even further on the it's yes, it is just okay not to be racist. It's okay to look, think whatever you want. Just don't don't bring violence upon somebody like don't be don't be evil don't you know don't act on those evil thoughts or whatever if you have them you know what i mean yeah i mean the issue there is that you're you're assuming a premise which the left is just rejecting which is the separation of thought and action and you've seen this in the last couple of years of they have intentionally erased that barrier you know speech is violence and all of that nonsense where for them thoughts are actions and Again, this should be should like be something that conservatives are pushing against very, very hard because, I mean, you're right. You, people should be able to think what they want, regardless of how deplorable you and I, I may think it is, as long as they don't act on it. And quite frankly, the people who act on things are the, the bigger issue that we should be focusing on. But 
it's the it's the mob like mentality which I wish conservatives would speak out against because you hear conservatives talking about the mob and don't bow to the mob, but I don't think they're quite approaching it in the right direction. It's always in the way of justifying their conclusion. It's like virtue is in not bowing to the mob. So to some extent, yes, but I would rather focus on why the mob is dangerous, of why they are using the mob to avoid the issues at hand and why they are wrong fundamentally, because it breeds this separation where there is virtue in being different. There is virtue in disagreeing, which in the long term doesn't help because all it does is splinter society where it's almost like the masks, right, where it's now been splintered to if you if you wear a mask, you're a shill. And if you don't wear a mask, you're a moron. It doesn't help in the long term, whereas if we focus on the actual issue at the heart of everything, thing we have a we have the potential to move forward but conservatives are just going to have to grow a spine honestly it's really quite depressing watching this go on yeah absolutely personally i don't think it's just enough uh you know it's enough not to be a communist i think you have to be actively anti-communist that's where i come <laughs> down that's where i come down on the whole black lives matter thing um even dr thomas soul who's one of my heroes and i'd say the most brilliant living american the greatest living american uh, and I've, re- I've recommended every single book he's ever written <laughs> on the podcast, <laughs> and I'll continue to do so. They, they are all game changers. Um, but he even said that he feels if Biden wins, the Democrats take both houses of Congress, that it might be, he said, the quote he used was a point of no return for the country. Now, Thomas Sowell's been right about everything his entire career, and he's 90 years old. He's had a very long career. So over the last, you know, 65 years or so, he's been right about everything. I hope and pray he's wrong about this, and I think he is actually wrong about this one thing. This one thing I think Dr. Thomas Sowell is wrong on, because I just can't believe that. I can't believe that yet. A couple reasons. Mm-hmm. We all, especially people in our generation, we say every election, every four years, is the most important election in American history. That's insane. That's obviously ridiculous. <laughs> that is ridiculous. I mean, you could go back to, man, I, I mean, come on. There's so many, so many. You know, my gosh. I mean, we start in 1860, in 1920, in 1980. Go, heck, man. You know, go go to the UK if if Winston Churchill isn't isn't elected. What happens? I mean, yeah. We'd all we'd all probably be speaking German right now. But you know, it's like. So I, I hate that kind of extreme talk. But when push came to shove, Americans, when freedom's back was truly against the wall, Americans made the right choice. They elected Lincoln in 1860. They elected. Warren G. Harding, and then, in effect, Calvin Coolidge, who took over after Harding died a year and a half later in 1920. And in 1980, man, in, in the, the Carter-Reagan election, they elected Reagan. All three of those elections were way more important than the election of 2020. And Americans have always made the right choice when their backs were against the wall. And when elections went badly, when elections went the way we did not like, we always survived. And it ended up not being as important as uh, as a lot of conservatives thought it would be. Like, you know, 2008 comes to mind. Everybody thought it was at the end of the world when Barack Obama was elected president. That wasn't the case. To be honest, I don't know how much better of a president John McCain would have been, maybe a little bit, um, but, you know, he was not a, he was no conservative. Um, so uh, he was definitely a, a centrist politically and then a, a huge interventionist, obviously, when it comes to war. So I don't know if he would have been very much better than Obama, but, you know, maybe, you know, you know we wouldn't have gotten Obamacare. But aside from that, who knows? I, I just don't know, man. I, I think that either one, Americans will make the right choice or B, 
we will have overestimated how important this election was looking back in 10 years. What do you think? I think there's too much focus on politics and not enough focus on culture. I think yes. we split everything into four year blocks. And we think that that moment in time of electing the king or queen in the White House is what drives the country. And it really isn't. And I think we need to start focusing this on a daily battle rather than a every four years battle where it doesn't really matter if um, Trump or Biden is in the White House next year. It's what is going on in the media. It's what is going on in education. It's what's going on in the lower levels of politics. That's where the fight is. Like politics almost comes comes after all this. And I mean, we have a conserv a so-called conservative in, in power right now and look at the direction a lot of things are going. There's there's a huge disconnect. And we it's this obsession. I mean, it, you see it with people who are pro-Trump and people who are pro-Biden, where they, they see almost like a messianic figure in these two people, where every problem will be solved just by voting for this one human being. And it, it's quite antithetical to a lot of American principles in, from my perspective of like, you, you kind of fought against a monarchy like that was quite a big thing. And we're going back to this issue where you have this one person who's going to solve all your problems. And meanwhile, the, the culture is just taking over a lot of these things. That's why the view of things like abortion and gun control are as they are. It's not because of politics. So I would like to see the focus be much more iterative and much more short term and like, OK, it's a daily battle rather than we can kind of do what we want for four years and then we start caring about these issues. It's we've got to shift our priorities. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're 100 percent correct. And, you know, I have to call out, you know, our fellow our fellow Republicans and conservatives as well, man, like because uh, it matters just as much when our guy I voted for Trump. I'm voting for Trump again. You know, I, I want Trump to win re-election. I voted for him the first time, and I'm happy with a lot of things he's done, not happy with some things he's done. And I have to call out people on the right, too, because, you know, when Trump does something that is against what conservatives believe, a lot of people on the right refuse to call him out for it, like the bump stock uh, ban, which was wildly unconstitutional. He just unilaterally banned bump stocks. Okay, that is a violation of the Constitution. That's a violation of the Second Amendment. And a lot of conservatives were like, eh, whatever. Guess we don't really need bump stocks anyway. Really? Really? Mm-hmm. So you're, just because you voted for the guy, you're going to let him infringe on your rights that are not supposed to be infringed upon. So, yep. no, like it, it, it matters when our guy is in office, too, and just not, not just when the other guys are in office. I mean, it, it also gives ammunition to your opponents every time. And yes. the problem is that the the ammunition is more is more effective used by the left because they have the media in their back pocket like this is not an even battle right now this is not just a battle of principles between the left and the right this is a battle between fundamental conservatism and then you've got this kind of more populist element of uh trumpism which is coming through and then the left is just this giant monolith which has the entire mainstream media behind them You've got a lot of the educational system driving a lot of these radical policies. So people are growing up with this stuff. It's not just people are deciding these themselves. This is not a fair fight. We need to start level the playing field a little bit because there's only so long you can be David and Goliath and come out okay. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, And that's a daunting task, isn't it? I mean, the the left controls what percentage of the media? You know, 90, 95 percent? Oh, just a vast number, yeah. I mean, like, the, the right has, you know, 
a couple shows on Fox News and podcasts like this. <laughs> and that's it. And a few newspapers, you know, Daily Caller and Washington Examiner mm-hmm. and Free Beacon and stuff like that. But it's and, uh, and a few op-ed guys at, at the Wall Street Journal. That's it. And then the left has everything else. They have a 95% market share on, on the flow of information, which is just insane. And that's breaking that down is way more important even than winning elections. You know, I've yes. said this a lot. Like, there's only two things, I think, that a president in my, at least in my adult life, uh, and I'm 31 years old, I, the only things that a president has done that's actually affected me at all was uh, Ob- Obamacare affected me negatively. I had to pay a, 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 a fine, you know, for, for that for a long time. And then I was forced to buy uh, insurance that I didn't need and couldn't afford for a while. That that really hurt my, my bank account for a couple years there. Um, and then the Trump tax cuts affected me positively. I mean, me and my wife did get a, a, a rather sizable tax cut, so that, that was fantastic. But everything else that either Bush, Obama, or Trump did, I can't think of. Like, I never went to war in the Middle East. You know, I know friends that that did, but I never did. I, I've never served. You know, I I never. You know, I, I'm not. You know, I'm not gay, so the gay marriage thing didn't didn't affect me at all. You know, so it's like, I mean, all, all these like big, the, even like the the major important things that have happened over the course of my adult life, like the president has not affected me in in, mm-hmm. in many ways at all. Just a couple minor issues, like I'd say Obamacare and the tax cuts are the only things that have personally affected me. Or my business, or my income, or my family, something like that. So it's like, you know, who, who sits in the White House is insignificant, um, you know, next to uh, the power of the force. No, uh, next to you know the culture. <laughs> next to the culture was the culture does affect much more than whoever occupies 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Well, the culture affects everyone, and politics has everyone has one or two elements of politics which affects them personally, and the rest, as you said, is kind of affecting affects, other affects their or just affects their Twitter account. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, um, I think if we're going to take one thing away from our chat today is that like the culture war is something that conservatives need to roll their sleeves up and go after quite, quite strongly, if not as strongly as anything else in the next couple of years. Otherwise, that that's the bigger danger. I'm, I don't want Biden to be president, but I don't think that's going to be as much of a disaster as it would be to abandon that that arena to the left, because once that they're ingrained in in the culture with no pushback politics is, is kind of like a sideshow that doesn't really matter. If everyone believes what the left wants them to believe in the culture, then politics is irrelevant. Right. Like uh, Andrew Breitbart used to say, rest in peace, the, you know, politics is downstream from culture. And I mm-hmm. think that's absolutely uh, an undeniable fact at this point. Yes. One more thing before I let you go. Uh, this is a story I do not care about at all. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Dan Snyder, the onion, owner of the, the Washington Redskins, can do whatever the heck he wants with, uh, with the Redskins' name. But uh, he's, uh, he's changing the name after leftists and corporations whined about it, uh, like imbeciles. Um, they, they caved, they're cowards, whatever. I don't, I don't really care. But, you know, the, Dan Snyder caved. He's changing the name of the Washington Redskins. Although uh, the vast majority, over 90% of Native Americans, like the name and don't find it offensive at all. So that's a very interesting side note there. But... Um, Obviously, a lot of speculation on on the Twitter machine as to what they're going to change their name to. Um, you saw our, our, our friend Comfortably Smug, a great Twitter follow, uh, Photoshop uh, Marco Rubio's face on the uh, 
the the Redskins helmet, and he su- suggested the Washington Rhinos. That's obviously good. And I'm seeing a lot of things like the uh, the Washington lobbyists, the Washington bureaucrats. Um, uh, Jim Garrity over at National Review suggested the Washington Red Tape. Obviously, they would be the number one defense in the league. Red Tape from Washington can stop just about <laughs> any progress from anyone. So, uh, what what do you think? What should the Washington Redskins change their name to? Oh, my bet is the Washington Foreskins, but I'm not sure that's going to go too far. <laughs> Probably um, not. Probably not. Honestly, I just don't care. I think I, the, the way that this is a focus, I, I just couldn't care less. Like, it's a private company. They're allowed to change their name. What I find unbelievable is while all this is going on, there is an NFL player who tweeted either a quote of Hitler or a, fo- a fake quote of Hitler. Right. And no one cares. No one cares. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredible, man. <laughs> um, it, you know, Drew Brees... Uh, he, he says that he likes the national anthem and uh, the media and, and the whole entire sports world says that he should be run out of the NFL forever. And Deshaun Jackson quotes Adolf Hitler. It ended up being a fake Hitler quote, but, uh, you know, still, he uh, quote attributed to Adolf Hitler. And he's not punished just at insane. all. No, no punishment insane. from the Eagles, no, no punishment from the league, nothing. I mean, it's just absolutely, it's absolutely insane. And, you know, so... Anti-Semitism gets a pass, but you got to change the name of the, the Washington Redskins. That's <laughs> what the Washington Redskins matter, man. When's the last time they've won a game? My goodness. I mean, they they need a new quarterback, not a new name. And I'm an Ohio State fan, so I, I like Dwayne Haskins. But uh, real quick, I sorry that was the moment where we lost Ian. Um, he's fine, um, but his his uh, Skype connection went dead. I uh, don't blame him. Don't blame me. Uh, blame the uh, the millionaires and billionaires. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who runs Skype, uh, to quote um, Bernie Sanders. Uh, but yeah, we, we're probably just going to talk smack about the Washington Redskins for another couple minutes and then wrap it up. So I think we got to everything substantive. Um, but uh, real quick, um, make sure to follow Ian on Twitter at IG Hayworth. Um, you can find his writing at Daily Wire and at Town Hall. And uh, check out his YouTube channel. Uh, he's the host of the Ian Hayworth Show and The Truth in 60 Seconds, both outstanding shows that I highly recommend, and I always love chatting with Ian. Um, hopefully uh, next time we can uh, make sure the Skype machine uh, doesn't fail us. It's always annoying. Technology. We should have all been born 100 years ago. Wouldn't have to deal with it, right? Uh, anyway, sorry about that, guys. Um, hope you enjoyed the program, though. I love you. I appreciate you and all the, the kind words and all the great feedback I've been getting. Keep it up. I really appreciate it, guys. And uh, that's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks. Thank you.